We need our money. We need it now. I don't got that kind of time because it's a panoramic. Okay? A study in patience. Patience and waiting are not the same. More like distant cousins. One virtuous and the other temperamental. Both indulgent in their own right. Waiting is a hasty delaying of action. But patience is an act of radical acceptance. Acknowledging every day as a practice in mindful preparation. An exercise in becoming your best self because you recognize the blessings are on their way as long as you're ready to receive them. And just as you prepare to host your favorite guest, you must also prepare yourself for the best chapter of your life yet. I guess. We'll wait and see. Patiently. Have you ever seen it rain while the sun is still shining? Grief and restoration are often just as bittersweet because we learn to celebrate the highs in real time and confront the lows all at once. Gracefully and patiently, I pray. And to that I say, may the tears I've cried be the wave I ride to my next destination. Well, well, welcome back to Stepdaddy Season. Y'all, I know it's been more than a minute. I know I left y'all on the biggest cliffhanger ever, but you got to understand I have been fighting for my fucking life. No R. Kelly intended, but baby, it's been bad as hell. <laughs> and I feel like I, before I get back into telling my story, I need to just kind of break down where I've been and what my thought process has been and everything else that's happened. So today I'm kind of just gonna put everything out there, get a lot of things off my chest. And then after, you know, the next two episodes or so, I am going to dive right back into telling the story bit by bit in depth, but I'm going to give you like a high overview of everything that I have been going through. And baby, hold on to your britches. Now, before I dive into everything, I really just want to express my heartfelt appreciation for all of the love and support during my hiatus. I got so many texts and so many questions about when the podcast was coming back. And I'm just so glad that y'all love me <laughs> and y'all didn't forget about me. But baby, I'm back and I'm better. And it feels so good to say that. Now, I stand here today, a true testimony to starting again, to making everything out of nothing. And this is just the beginning. Now, in true show fashion and tradition, I am supposed to tell you one fun fact about me. And my fact today is that I am so resilient, very authentic, and honestly, truly resilient. 
I know there was a time in counseling where I was telling my counselor about how I grew up and she stopped me and she was just asking me where I thought I got my spirit from. And honestly, that was about two years ago. And I still don't think I fully have the answer. I just feel like it's God in me. And it's just been here the whole time. And I'm so grateful for God. I'm grateful for myself. And I'm grateful for this resilience. And I think what I'm learning now is that I'm not supposed to bounce back like I'm made of rubber. I get to fall apart. I get to fall together. And I get to have time to be a human being. And all that time is a part of me being resilient. It's it's me building myself back up and, you know, filling my cup up so I'll be ready to come back out and shine my light on the world. But yeah, let's dive into it. So my mama asked me if I am ready to tell this story. And I honestly don't know. I have all these doubts in my mind about if I've waited too long, if anybody even wants to hear what I have to say now, am I sharing too much? Sometimes I struggle with all of that. But what makes me persevere is the possibility that I could be what I wish I had for someone else. After everything I've been through, I really just wanted to have someone who understood where I am right now to share their story of how they made it out of hell and built a beautiful life in the face of devastation. Instead of waiting on that testimony, I decided to be it. And God put this on my heart to share and every which way I turn, I run right back into the same message. It's time to tell your story in fullness and in completion. So here we go again, y'all. For me, this divorce has felt like the never ending story. And I'm still in the thick of it. Back and forth with bullshit antics, waiting for court. I do think I was expecting things to get better once I made it to my final court date and my divorce was settled. I expected to have firmer boundaries, less custody issues with Judah's dad and more freedom to build memories with my sweet baby. While some of that is true, I don't think I could have anticipated that the hell that I was going through was about to turn up full throttle. Before I dive into everything, I want to first give you a disclaimer that these next two episodes contain some sensitive topics, including troubling situations involving children and thoughts of self-harm, so listener discretion is advised. You can check the show notes on this episode for more resources. Over the past five years, I nearly lost everything, but with God, my support system, and sheer determination, I was able to create and maintain a beautiful life for myself and my son. I changed careers and ventured into tech, quit that job after some motherfucking bullshit, (laughs) jump-started my own business, won two major grant opportunities with the city, I had another try at love and experience what it's like to have a real family, 
I scored my first EP feature and became a published songwriter, y'all. I started 2024 with my name and face on billboards downtown, and it was like a dream. Now, I wish I could tell y'all that that's my happy ending, but that's just not how this story goes. In reality, I'm living a dichotomous life where I'm accomplishing so many of my goals while simultaneously fighting the biggest battle of my life. The Bible says weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning, right? But what happens when the weeping just endures and you have to find joy in the midst of sorrow? The campaign that Judah's dad and his partner have been on to destroy my relationship with my son has been relentless. When I left off in the last episode that I posted, I spoke about how this nigga popped up in my parents' house to get you with a girl that I never seen before. (laughs) And soon after I figured out this was in fact his girlfriend. Less than a month or two after I put him out the house in 2019. Now this was literally a few weeks after he was trying to tell me he was moving home and I rejected that idea because he was so hostile about it. Since these two got together, it has been a match made in the lowest pit of hell, burning hot with a passionate hate for me that has now been passed on to my baby. First, it started off with pictures here and there posted of my son on the girl's social media against my wishes. Then they started antagonizing me online. After that, it escalated to Judah's dad making him kiss his partner, and her daughter on their lips. Even after I told him that this was unacceptable and inappropriate behavior. Then he started popping up on me out in the community. I honestly thought that we were done with that up until last year when they did a pop-up as a whole family. Then he started sending my baby home in two small clothes and two small shoes that left corns on literally all of his toes. And then there were the rashes, bruises, and injuries. I'm talking about everything from busted lips to boils on my baby's skin to chipped teeth from falls he's taken at his father's house. Then it was this nigga telling my son in front of me, my family, anybody really, that I never wanted him. Even though that's a lie from the pit of hell that both these niggas crawled out of. I've dealt with instances of threats and him cussing me out when he's late to pick up our son. Once we had our first mediation and parenting plan set back in 2019, this nigga refused to sign it and started coming to our evening exchanges over an hour late just to dump Judah in my arms and leave before I even got a chance to put him in the car. Then I had to deal with him moving my son to a new place every few months and refusing to provide me any of the addresses. Then he began withholding Judah after these exchanges in order to strong arm me into new visitation agreements every few months whenever he felt like it. You see, his goal was to maintain 50-50 custody so he didn't have to pay child support. And I should note that the majority of this is all happening before my son even turned one. I filed for divorce at the beginning of 2020. 
And this man evaded me serving him for the divorce with the help of his girlfriend for most of the year. In the months that followed, they continued sending Judah home with bumps and bruises, rashes, mildew clothes, and clothes that were sometimes three sizes too small. There was something happening nearly every day that was somehow worse than what was already going on. And there was never, ever time for me to recover, catch my breath, or find my footing before another wave of trauma would hit. Because there was always a constant crisis at hand, I never got the chance to start healing. I also developed this paralyzing fear that when I send my son with his dad, I don't know how or if he's going to come back to me. Just months before Judah was about to turn two, my ex started refusing to ride him in a car seat. Even still, I had to send my son to visit with him because at this point we're still married. So if I withhold visitation, it can backfire on me when we go to court. And he was definitely trying to push the age old bitter baby mama narrative. When ironically, I was the one who was trying to make sure that he and his family maintained constant contact with Judah ever since he was born. Honestly, that is one of my biggest regrets to date. At three years old, Judah came home and said, at my daddy's house, I said, I want my mommy. I want Amber. And my daddy says, shut the fuck up. Ain't no fucking Amber. Hearing that from my three-year-old brought me to tears because it's fucking disgusting. On top of that, he's sending my son home singing songs where he's calling me a bitch. When we asked Judah where he got that from, he says, that's just what my daddy calls Amber. And if you think it gets better with time, think again. Because just last December, Judah randomly tells me, my daddy hates you. Actually, no. My daddy hates you and twin, who's my previous partner. I asked him how he even knows that. And he said, because of everything he says about you, I can't tell you what he says because it's just too many bad words. Then he asked me why his daddy calls my parents bitch ass grandparents and what that means. It was around the time when my son turned about one and a half that I started to realize that these people were really trying to attempt to erase my presence from my son's life. And I know you're like, how can they do that? Well, by restricting phone contacts when I talk to my son, by telling him I'm not his mother, and by kidnapping him. These are all very common parental alienation tactics to try to instill negative feelings in your child towards you to ruin your relationship with your child. Now, one situation ended in a standoff with the police where Judah's dad, or JD as I call him in previous podcasts and will in the future, he refused to return Judah after a court-ordered exchange. So we stood in the police station parking lot while he told the police he'd only exchange my son if I was willing to sign a visitation agreement that he proposed on the spot. So we literally had to get lawyers on the phone and everything. 
And I went fold. So after about 30, 45 minutes, he finally gave Judah up. And I remember the police officer coming over to me and I had tried to warn him before everything happened. And he was like, no, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen before. And I'm like, I tried to tell you. But that's the thing, like people hear black women and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so dismissive. And then they see it for themselves and they're like, oh no, this is motherfucking wild. <laughs> you know what I mean? So after this happened, I had this nagging feeling that this was not the end. And after our next exchange in 2020, he ended up kidnapping my son for over a month in the fall of 2020. So for the whole month of November to the beginning of December, I didn't see my son at all. On top of all this, JD has the audacity to pass off his partner as my son's mother. So I've had to prove my maternity at the doctor's office, the dentist, and last year I had to pull a pre-K application completed without my knowledge or consent with this bitch listed as my son's mom. I kid you fucking not. The gag is, JD name wasn't even on the application. And once you submit it, you can't make any changes to the application. So I had to email the school, send them my court order and all these documents to prove I'm my son's mom to block the application for a school that I told this nigga I ain't want my son to go to anyway. And if that did grind your motherfucking gears, wait till you hear this shit. These niggas for years have been telling my son that I am not his mother. And instead that his dad's partner is his mother. So Judah asked me back in December if he actually came out of my body because his dad told him that he came out of his girlfriend. I wish I could take this shit with a grain of salt, but I can't because for years they have literally made my son call me by my first name when he's in his father's care and call JD's partner, his mama, in my fucking face. Literally, during FaceTime calls and whenever he has Judah in his care. And I'm the primary fucking guardian. Like, I'm the primary decision-making guardian. I honestly wish I could stop there, but the list just goes on and on. I've dealt with threats, ridiculous-ass lies, this nigga refusing to divorce me and even evading the sheriff's attempts to serve him, like I told y'all, while simultaneously getting engaged in a staged video that slick went viral. <laughs> then these niggas got fake married and all while I was still actively married to the nigga. You know how much of a mindfuck it is to see someone that you don't want to be married to wearing a new wedding ring while also refusing to divorce you? It's madness. It's delusion. Then me and my family really prayed. We had prayer meetings. We had phone calls. We prayed for intervention in any kind of way. One thing we asked God for was that he could have another baby and just leave us the fuck alone. So one day we were together at the doctor, right? And we had to be together all day. It was just me, him and Judah. And he was just doing all this extra shit. We didn't talk the whole time until I said this. And I was just like, you know, ask him about the baby when the baby do, you know, breaking the ice. Cause I already know what the fuck going on. And so I really put a little color purple curse on him. And I was just like, I can't wait for your baby to come. And I told that nigga that I hope his girlfriend has her baby on my birthday so he can wrap this shit up 
and leave me to fuck along forever. Verbatim. <laughs> I want him to be done with me. The gag is that nigga really did have his baby on my birthday. But took it a step further and named the baby. A name that I picked out by myself if we would have ended up having a girl. Now my intuition is on 10,000. So I said I'll shade to that name shortly after I ended that relationship. I gave it to God, right? But I just wonder what the fuck this girl gonna do when she figure out I named her baby. But judging by the sheer dumb bitchery and tomfoolery afoot, this girl probably know that shit and think she did her motherfucking big one. They basically named this baby True Love based on a whole toxic lie. All for a nigga who wears bootcut jeans and J's and get even all around haircuts. Girl, be fucking for real. Child, now that I got a birthday buddy, they be trying to ruin my birthday and send my baby home telling me he hates me and telling me he doesn't love me. He can only love his sister and it's only his sister's birthday, not mine. And I'm just like, why the fuck do we have to even do all that? Like, it don't even got to be all that. <laughs> it, I just, I, I don't have that energy. I really just want to have a good time. I want to enjoy my baby. I want to have, but you know what it is? This nigga tried to get written into one of our parenting agreements that Judah was going to have to be available for all of his step-siblings' birthdays and all this other shit. And this was before I knew I shared a birthday with the baby. But I'm like, nobody's writing that shit down. And so the court orders usually order for the child to be with either parent on their respective birthday. So because I share a birthday with the little baby, he ain't never going to be there on her birthday. But that's not my fault. Baby, that's just how the cards lay, okay? And they'll be okay. It ain't that serious. Child. Then these people had my baby coming home asking me why at his daddy's house, everybody calls me fat and ugly. Judah was super upset about it too. He was telling me that I should be mean and say bad words back to his daddy. Now I'm the type of parent where I'm trying to pour love into my son. And I'm the type of woman where I'm not giving no nigga my energy who I am not with. Okay. I just don't believe in that. It's one of my Ten Commandments. Fuck these niggas when you're not with them. Like, what? <laughs> so I use this as an opportunity to talk to my son and have, like, meaningful conversations with him to get him to understand, like, fuck what they talking about. So I asked Judah if he thinks that his mommy is ugly. And he said, no, my mommy is pretty. And I said, right. And you look just like me. So we both know that's a lie. Then I told him that being called fat is not an insult, it's an adjective. And I asked him if he thinks mommy is fat. Now I know this is a risky fucking question for a toddler, but I have faith. Y'all, he said, well, your boobs are fat. And I said, you are correct. Then he said, and your butt is pretty fat too. And I said, two for two, you are absolutely correct. <laughs> but other than that, he said, no, mommy, you're not fat. Then he said, well, why would my daddy say things that aren't true? And so I asked him, do you know what a hater is? And of course he said, no. And I said, well, it's because your daddy is a hater. And he said, well, what is the hater? I said, a hater is somebody 
who doesn't really have a reason not to like you. So they have to make up things that aren't true to try to make you feel bad about yourself. And most of the times, it's because they're not happy with themselves. So they don't want you to be happy with yourself either. I also told him, it's a few things nobody can call us. And that's ugly, stupid, and broke. Okay? And sweet, if I ever get big, just know it's going to be giving big business. (laughs) And I thought that was the end of the conversation. Until my baby turns to me and he asks me if his daddy is a good person. As much as I want to say, hell no, he's a ho-ho and a little bitty ass bitch. I don't. Instead, I say, baby, I don't get to make that decision for you. That's a decision that you will have to make on your own in your own time. I also tell him to pay attention to a person's actions. And how these actions make him feel. I tell him that in order to be a good person and a good parent, someone has to give you love, mental, and emotional support. They need to provide comfortable clothes, shelter, food, and they need to respect your boundaries in a healthy way. I told him they should want you to love everyone who loves and treats you well because there's enough room for you to love everyone who loves you. The lesson here is, I don't have to trash talk this man. His actions speak for themselves. I don't even have to tell you what he does, which I don't, because I want to protect my baby. My son already sees for himself, and once he learns his own truth, nobody will be able to take that from him. The truth of the matter is, I don't give a fuck what this nigga or anybody attached to him has to say about me. Baby, I've been called worse by better. And I got real motion. So the majority of the time, I'm too busy to notice. And the other times, I'm asleep. I'm out the way. I'm moving in truth and love every single day. So understand, if you don't like me, that's your preference. But if you hate me, just a fucking hater. What I do care about, though is how all of this affects my baby and my relationship with him. While I can't control what happens outside of my home, I do my best to create a positive, safe space for him during our time together. So I use these situations, honestly, as bonding material. I address it. I explain things in taller terms that respect, you know, his development. And then I turn these things his dad says into a lighthearted joke that we both enjoy. So... While his dad tries to make him hate me, he's actually learning the truth about him while we grow closer every single day. My job as my baby's mother is to support him as best I can in the midst of all of this foolishness. And boy, oh boy, there is a lot of that. So let's just keep on going. Next, I have to talk about the drug use. So back in, I think this was 2021, when I was dating my old boo, he used to take me on trips in between visitation because it was just so tumultuous all the time. So he would just be like, pack a bag. We got to go out of town. We'd be gone for like 36 hours, however long until Judah came back. So this particular time we went to New York. 
and we took the best picture in Times Square after he bought us some Ray-Bans and it was the most perfect picture I asked this girl who looked like very Instagrammable and she took the best picture of us and so as I was going to put the phone in my pocket after showing him we were just so happy we knocked my phone out my hand shattered it it's the only time I ever broke my phone in my life <laughs> and so I wasn't even tripping I was just like it's cool I get another phone when I come home but when I got home I went to see if I could find a picture on my Google Drive and baby I start scrolling through the fucking photos and I'm seeing like a woman's naked body looking like pre-op photos knowing it's not me because I know what my body looked like and I only got one arm so <laughs> it wasn't me but yeah so I noticed that this nigga Google Photos is backed up to my iPad. So basically God gave me a lens into exactly how my baby had been living over there ever since he met that girl. I seen everything, everything from the beginning up until my son was probably like around two years old. And me and my friend who was on FaceTime with me, we went on a wild deep dive. All right. <laughs> we saw videos, the pill popping, raving ass niggas passed out sleep naked with the kids unattended videos of jd dragging his girl around the house like a fucking dead body because she's so out of it baby girl screaming like somebody on the street ah, ah. it was wild okay and i'm just like lord god what has my son been subjected to then we see a video of these niggas looking in the camera talking about, hey guys, we're doing drugs. We sure are. What? I cannot make this shit up. Okay? This shit so bad, the nigga got a damn DUI on his visitation weekend with Judah in 2021. I found all this out after a Google search. Shortly after my son came home, Telling me that his daddy was a bad guy because he saw him get arrested by the police. Child, I'm getting tired even talking about this. Now, the next thing we saw was not even up for debate. The hardest thing that I saw on that Google Drive. And these were the inappropriate videos and pictures taken of my son. So the first instance I'm going to speak on is the more recent one. And that one is of a video that JD's partner posted on Instagram public for everybody to see. And people kept sending it to me. And it depicts my son swinging on this girl's stripper pole in his underwear. Now it's other kids in the video too, but they have clothes on. My son is the only one in the video in two different pair of underwear, which is letting me know you filmed him on two occasions with no clothes on and you thought it was a good fucking idea to put his ass on the internet like that? That's fucking despicable. Now that video was taken maybe in like the past year and a half, two years, I would say. But the first videos that were taken were taken when my son was maybe a year and a half. He just looks like he's almost two in the videos that I saw. And it involves a group of pictures that JD's girlfriend's daughter took of Judah in the backseat of a car. So in the videos, my baby is crying and embarrassed and trying to swat the phone while this child is taking multiple photos and videos, including slow motion videos of her zooming in on my baby's naked body 
zooming in on his private parts while she laughs in the background. It's no adults in the video, it's just her. And it's maybe a series of like shutters, like several photos where I can kind of see like the transition of my son having a breakdown. And his pants are down, his pull-up is off. And it's like the tears in his eyes, like I cannot get the image out my head from when I saw the videos. Um, and I am glad that I had my friend there on the phone with me. But like, I remember reaching out to my lawyer at the time and telling her what was going on and then like my son was in play therapy so when they found out about it like it just became it was I guess I thought it was gonna be a time where intervention happened and it just really did not fucking happen like I wanted to press charges and everything and it just didn't go anywhere and I think that for me like it's been plenty of times where I felt like I wanted to kind of just go off <laughs> the deep end you know what I'm saying like But it's like I'm in this place where I really have to be careful what I do. Like in the next few episodes, I'm going to tell you all about a situation where JD's dad was just talking about telling people that I stabbed him. Like was telling people I was violent. I had threatened his family and stuff. Just saying all kind of shit, trying to paint a picture of me. And it was like I was already having a situation where a judge really showed me like they not really for us. You feel what I'm saying? And so it's like I had to move really careful and I did everything right, reported it all the way up. It was even cases open for my son and it wasn't even any fucking action. on. To make matters even worse, this man was terrorizing me with the full support of his bitch and his family. Being a first time mom is such a vulnerable time as a woman. And these people really did everything in their power to drag me ever since my baby was a newborn it's like they wanted me to believe i was a bad mother i really feel like this nigga wanted me to lose my motherfucking mind he literally called me a bad mom in front of people would tell people that i didn't want my son even in front of my baby he said that i was a bad mother because i was an independent woman and i wanted to travel and all that shit was all lies at one point this nigga was shaming me for not having a two-parent household when he is literally the reason I didn't have that two-parent household. He turned his side into a wife while we were married and thought he could fucking shame me. What kind of shit is that? And to add insult to injury, this nigga was raised by a single mom who worked hard as fuck. So to even have that lodging in his mind don't even make sense. I honestly feel like this man is really mad because he tried to cheat on me and I foiled that plan and put his ass out before it could really take flight. I grieve from the heartbreak and I'm happy as fuck ever since then. The truth is a lot of these niggas don't want to do right by you, but they also don't want you to be happy without them either. They just want to hold space in your life, doing just enough to keep you from leaving, but not enough to make you comfortable enough to stay or to thrive. They fucking up your present any way that they can just to hold you hostage emotionally. Gaslighting you into relaxing your boundaries and rearranging your non-negotiables. Saying things like everything takes time and you need to have more patience. They want you to celebrate every inch of progress no matter the little backslides 
while years are passing by and you don't even realize it because you're so distracted by everything else that's going on. Sneaky snakes, I tell you. The reality of leaving an abusive situation is... It's still unfolding for me. It's like this nigga vowed to make every day since I decided to leave. Hell! The way he begged me to be with him literally on his knees crying when we was together. That nigga cried so much during our wedding day and played this role of being so in love just to drag me for years so effortlessly. And that is terrifying. That switch up was so quick that it tells me it was always there lying in wait. I realize now that the lack of support and options for me early on in my situation set this man up to be in a place where he didn't really have to face any consequences for his actions. The people around us created an environment where all these little things kept sliding and playing into him getting his way very early on because they didn't want to set him off. But they didn't realize they were setting him up to have the upper hand in our situation. I spoke to several lawyers and they all told me the same thing. I needed to continue to be fair and share 50-50 custody to seem reasonable to the court. And that led him to having favor in deciding the visitation agreements early on. I think everybody was under this mindset that I would be in court soon, not realizing it was going to take like three and a half years for me to get before a judge. And even then it was a temporary judge. Then when he kidnapped our son, I had a judge that drugged me so bad. She sympathized with this nigga and green lighted him kidnapping my son because we were married. And she said I could have done it first if I wanted to. Even though I know if I would have kept my son from him, it would have fed right into that narrative and they would have snatched my rights right back like I've seen happen to so many women before. Then this nigga girlfriend nearly perjured herself writing a letter of support for him to the judge saying that I abandoned my son when he was a baby so I could travel the world and that Judah's dad took over as his super single father. The whole time... I'm working three fucking jobs to make ends meet and providing primary care for my son, picking him up from school every single day. These fucking people. The thing is, this nigga loves engaging in toxic shit and will do and say anything to get a rise out of the situation. He wants any energy that I would throw his way. And the only way to combat that is to starve him. My grandma Daisy used to say, he who angers you controls you. And I think this nigga lives by that. He used to brag about how a few of his exes tried to kill him because they were crazy bitches, he said. He tried to pass himself off like he was some unassuming victim. Now, this convo was one of the few red flags that I did get because I had this man presenting as this perfect partner but who was also telling me that his exes tried to kill him for no supposed reason? I call bullshit. To this day, I remember asking him, what exactly did you do to push more than one person to the point that they actually attempted to kill you? Because at this point, not one, but two separate people have wanted to kill you. We need to examine the role that you played in your own suffering. 
I think that nigga was bamboozled because he never did answer me. <laughs> now me, I never judged those women. And I also never forgot that shit. But baby, now I fucking get it. An antagonistic, sadistic, self-proclaimed sociopath. The psychological and spiritual warfare that I have been subjected to from day fucking one after I left and over these past years put me into this survivor mode where every day felt like a fight or flight situation. It felt like there was this constant sense of impending doom and I didn't feel like there was enough room for both of us to exist. After doing research, I realized how common this is in domestic violence and emotionally abusive situations. In extreme cases, this is what often leads victims to kill their abusers. About two years ago, I used to be filled with a rage that scared the shit out of me. I could literally feel it burning through my eyes. It was so heavy and so hot that it didn't feel like anything that ever existed in this world before. I remember praying for God to remove him from my life completely and having thoughts I couldn't even believe were mine. I used to fall to my knees and beg God to take this wrath from me, to keep me grounded in my values because I had never been in that place ever in my life. Just know, if this nigga was an ant, I'd have got my magnifying glass so motherfucking fast. All you hear is, that's the sound of me frying his little ass up. Just know, if the purge was legal, baby, his mama would have got her dead roses at sunrise. Mwah. Luckily for me, I had a therapist, a support system, and a strong sense of self that kept me from acting on any impulses. I used to feel so guilty for being so damn mad. But then my therapist told me that this type of response to severe trauma was normal as long as you don't act on it. In a lot of ways, angry thoughts and ideations serve as a way for victims to give themselves some semblance of control in their situations. Then one day it just came to me and I thought about God. God was openly wrathful in the Old Testament. When he got pissed, he sent floods, fires, famine, disease. He wiped out the whole town and the world if he felt like he needed to. So as long as I didn't act on any of my thoughts, I was doing better than the Old Testament. <laughs> I realized you can't control your thoughts. So you just got to let them come and go like a passing cloud. Between counseling and the fact that Judah needs me to be free, and he also needs to know in his own right that his daddy ain't shit, that was my cycle of keeping myself sane during this time. I also know that this nigga would love to be my reason that I lose my freedom in visitation with my son. And for that, he can eat shit, a lot of it, fast. The ultimate truth is, I have really witnessed in these past years the systematic failure of a little black child in real time. Court happened for us right as COVID restrictions were being lifted. The problem is the docket was full, so they saw multiple cases in one day with a temporary judge advising. 
All in all, I submitted 80 pieces of evidence out of hundreds of materials. A defects case was reported by a doctor who saw Judah, but that follow-up was a fucking joke. I was contacted to do three phone intake interviews and they wouldn't even look at the evidence. Instead, they referred me and Judah to a state-run counseling service that had a six-month wait list. It's ridiculous because over the years, there has been this narrative that his dad has tried to maintain about me being a bitter and unreasonable mother. Before this situation, I've never been called bitter or even been in a situation to really experience it. But all things considered, bitterness, rage, discontent, disgust are all normal to feel in moments where niggas are actively neglecting my baby's needs and traumatizing the both of us. This nigga tried to make me lose my car, my house, my son, my livelihood, and my motherfucking mind. On top of all of that, he isn't even showing up as a father, and this nigga owe me fucking money. Niggas be bitter when Chick-fil-A closed on Sunday, and they already knew that. But to think that you can shame a woman, especially a black one, or even a woman of color, who has literally done nothing petty, doesn't openly bash this nigga. I've done my best to keep the peace and to give respect to niggas who deserve less than nothing. And y'all choose to shit on me. And don't worry, you don't have to take my word for it. Witnesses testified to support everything I'm telling you in court. One of the funniest and saddest parts of the court hearing was when he went around to my witnesses and he had to basically um, cross-examine him because he didn't have a lawyer. And under oath, he's asking each one of my witnesses if they thought he was a good father. And it was a resounding no across the board, bitch. So he kept asking. He just kept asking and over and over again to where the judge interrupted him and made him wrap it up. He had no evidence, nothing at all. This nigga was down so bad in the court, he pulled out his last wild card and started crying like fucking Tyrese. Tom Muslim, I just want to be your father. And that was a whole fucking lie. Because if you just wanted to be a father, you just would have did it. You would have prioritized getting to know your newborn son instead of chasing women around to scam. You would have shown up for him, provided for him, been a positive role model instead of getting arrested in front of him and having my baby coming home asking me if you're a bad guy. Now I'm left in this impossible position where Judah is looking to me to defend honor for a man who has none. And baby, that is not my cross to bear. I won't add to the negativity, but I damn sure ain't caping for a fuck ass nigga. Instead, I leave my son with the agency to make his own decisions. I understand that my situation is not an easy fix. I've been living it all these years, baby, I could tell. Every single time I thought it was gonna get better, I hit another roadblock and I've had to learn how to reposition, restructure, refuel. You know, have plans B through Z for real. I'm back and forth between filing paperwork for contempt of court because I forgot to mention this nigga owe me 18,000 right now between child support he has never ever paid and my divorce settlement. I honestly tried to do everything right. Collecting evidence to present to court, 
getting my son to play therapy at school and at home, speaking honestly with defects the multiple times they reached out to me on my son's behalf. I've pleaded with the court so many times. Um, and it's just, it just feels like the progress that we've received pales in comparison to the ongoing traumatic shit that we've been dealing with. The worst part is there will be a week or two where things will be quiet and people will say, oh, maybe he's coming to his senses and he's going to operate in Judah's best interest. But I come to realize that that type of optimism in this situation is a fucking trap. This situation is not just going to get better. I need real help and true intervention. I need to get my baby out of this situation and I can't do it by myself. I need support and I need community to rally behind me and my son. And I do have a new legal team. I'm very optimistic about it. Um, I did take a, a, a big little gut punch when I turned over my evidence and everything. And they told me that I can't use any of the evidence from before my last court hearing. And so I just feel like that sucks because my lawyers now are telling me like I the judge should have really intervened for my son in the past. But it's like I can't even bring that stuff in the past up. And yeah, there's new stuff, but it's just like I have been traumatized having to keep track of a diary of going through photos and reliving memories. And that's why it took me so long to come back to this podcast, because it's just like I'm having to live with this shit every day. I'm having to sit with it like. It's giving me nightmares. It's giving me panic attacks. Like, it's, it's like I couldn't escape from it. And it feels sometimes like I collected all the evidence for nothing. But I'm going to tell you something. I understand why people riot. I understand why there is unrest. Because this same system that ignored my pleas for intervention for my baby is the same system that will be ready to convict him as an adult with no empathy. The fact that this nigga is riding my son around on a suspended license right now. And it's like he never had an answer for his actions. But I'm going to tell you one thing. The court of law and the court of public opinion are two different things. I ain't never going to say this nigga name. Because the thing is, all I got to do is talk about what happened. And the people who know, know. And the way this world works, they find out what they want to find out. Like, this the age of calling people on their shit. So here it is. I'm up here at the podium. I'm putting my life out here. I'm being vulnerable. And letting y'all know what's really going on in my life. Like, it's been so many times where I really felt weak. And I felt like I didn't know if I could continue. But it's like, I have just been so surrounded by love and support. And even people who interact with me just sending me love, not even knowing that I need it. It's just been so, just enough to keep me going to the next thing and not feel like it's all for nothing. And I'm glad I had a sweet love of my son because if I'm being honest, I I never seen nurturing love up close, not with the mother and a baby, you know? So it's just so new to me. And my ex knows that. That's why he plays into so many things and, trying to create a dynamic because he knows the family I grew up in and he wants to get into my spirit and make me feel like I can't escape and a big part of my situation 
is my family and how it set the foundation for niggas like this to come and find me. You know, it put me on an island with a person like this who in the beginning, thank God, wasn't terrorizing me. But it's like it really set the tone for him to switch up and decide, hey, I'm going to drag the fuck out of this lady. <laughs> like, you know, it's just but it's like. It's just it's it's so many things all at once and it's just a lot to process. And one more thing, you know what I'm really sick of hearing? Oh, you better than me because I would have beat everybody ass. And why didn't you contact defects and have you gone to the police? Oh, the court's going to take care of that. You're just so peaceful. It couldn't be me. I would have took my kid and refused to give him back. Mm-hmm. I realized that a lot of people have no idea how situations like this go in real life and that's part of the reason why i want to tell this podcast is because y'all think y'all know what the fuck y'all talking about and you really don't fucking know what the fuck going on for real so i'm gonna let you know this is not tv this is not social media this thing not gonna be wrapped up at the end of 45 minutes or an hour okay you could be going through this shit for a long fucking time it takes money resources some people are paying like twenty thousand for a lawyer today i've paid 11 <laughs> and i'm still you know still on retainer you know what i'm saying and i had to get that shit out the mud for real so it's like you don't know what it really is like nothing works how you think it does i think the police really gave me the most realistic perspective on my situation it was sad but it was realistic (laughs) between that and my old lawyer you know telling me that no matter what the judge decides i need to remember that my court order is ultimately a piece of paper It can't save me. It can't stop my ex from doing whatever he wants to do. It only gives me a means to hold him accountable. Now, what the police told me is that the law is made to be reactive, not proactive. And that's something that most people don't understand. So true intervention is only going to occur unless something really, really bad has already happened to me or my son. So take that into account, right? The reality of what I just told you. Then think about also like, I have to be really, really careful in a situation like this, right? If I choose violence or I violate the court order without extreme cause per the court, they could lock me up. Even if I have cause, I could still get locked up. They could reverse the primary custody that I have now. And guess what? They're going to give it to Judah's dad. Then Judah is back in the very environment that I'm trying my best to help him avoid. And I've acted on impulse and put myself in a place where I'm in a worse position to advocate for him. His dad has already tried to use the bitter, violent baby mama narrative to his advantage to no avail. Even though he is, in fact, the bitter bitch in this situation. Because I've never tried to keep him from our son, ever. He has done that. And honestly, again, to this day, that is one of my biggest regrets outside of marrying this nigga. I often have people tell me to trust that this won't last forever. And I need y'all to stop that too. Because this has been my forever. Ever since I got pregnant with my son, I have never known peace. I prayed and cried and everything in between. I done been anointed with oil. I had people pray over me. And I'm realizing now that 
the key to me reaching my next chapter is telling my story. I have to step into the light so we can cast out the darkness. My mentor from my church told me back in 2019 that I needed to tell my story so God could use me as a testimony. She said that God was going to use me to show people an example of working miracles in real time. And I do. I, I feel like this is the only thing that's holding me back. So God, here now, we're going to touch and agree that you're going to do your big one and turn this thing up right. A big thing that I had to get over was the fear of speaking my truth and the exhaustion that comes with trailblazing in such a vulnerable way. But at least I know if this blows up this time, it will be purposeful. Now, I do want to touch on this idea in the black community where there's an element of self-worth that's attached to how much you can endure for love. When speaking specifically in reference to black women, I feel the need to highlight the relationship of disrespect of black women and the prison of respectability. Now, there's this respectability for black women that requires silence and submission. When they go low, we go high. But if you're always going high, you're getting more and more out of touch with the reality of the disrespect that you're experiencing. You're also way out of the way and too far gone to intervene on your own behalf and advocate for yourself. I've learned it's better to be grounded and to stand your ground emotionally, spiritually, and even physically if you need to. You have to guard your heart and stop allowing people access to you that they don't deserve. Stop floating in the wind, square the fuck up, and let these people know they got you fucked up. Even with everything that I've done for my son, sometimes I still feel like I'm not doing enough. Like I should have done more or tried harder. But honestly, I don't know what more to do. My baby is crying out for help, asking me why he can't always be with me. When he comes home, he lashes out at me sometimes because he doesn't understand what's going on and he wants me to rescue him from the situation that he shouldn't even be in. But just as soon as he lashes out, he's remorseful. So he goes from being angry to hysterically crying until finally we're able to find some kind of peace. But that peace is only temporary because he still has to go back for visitation again. This constant push and pull takes a toll on him and me because I'm the one he looks to to help him emotionally process everything. I'm having to be a nurturing mother that I have never had while facing off with a father who doesn't give a fuck about anybody, not even himself. Someone who prioritizes his ego over rearing a healthy whole child, creating dysfunction at a time where we should be giving our son love, protecting his mind, his heart, and his spirit. Over time, things take such a toll on you that you start to feel like it's not enough to have faith anymore. I honestly started to question if God forgot about me for a while. And to tell you the truth, I wasn't even angry. I was just wondering like, dang, are my prayers even going up there? Then I started to wonder like, is it even a point in me talking to the court or the police or 
defects when they call because if I've talked to so many people, if I've collected all this evidence and still nothing has been done, it's like I started to gaslight myself. Nonetheless, some shit will happen and snap me out of it. And I'm like, hell no, you're not tripping. I'm just gonna have to keep fighting the fight. And I refuse to give up. As long as I'm here and as long as I'm fighting, I know that one day these things are gonna change for me. I know that I'll be able to stand firmly on my feet and find myself knowing that I fought for my son with integrity, with veracity, and with every bit of love I have in my body. All in all, I'm still human. So sometimes the guilt still gets to me though. The guilt I feel for not being able to get my baby out of this situation that I got out of. I used to want to put Judah back in my ovaries because I felt like I betrayed him. Bringing such a good hearted, innocent person into this mess. Even though I had no way of knowing this would happen. I tried betting this nigga. This nigga was good with all my family, my friends, everybody. Sometimes I was just so burnt out and so stressed out that I missed my life before all of this. And then I feel even guiltier for feeling that way. But then I had to realize if I never got married and I never had Judah, if I had never been met with this adversity, this version of me would have never been born. Judah gave me the motivation to chase my dreams today. He leveled me up in every single way. He gave me this attitude that didn't allow me to accept less than what I deserve. And I owe that little boy every good thing in this world because of it. All in all, though, this situation sent my mental health through the roof. Or maybe into the toilet is better to say. I started having panic attacks from anxiety, which culminated in me having a full on breakdown. I was burnt out and it felt like something shifted inside of me. Like my flame for life went out. And as someone who is traditionally so good at starting again, I just haven't been that low in a long time. Even still, I was taking care of my baby and making things happen as best I could. And I think that taught me I don't have to be the best all the time. I just have to give whatever my best is that day. And that's enough. Still, no matter how good things were, I always had this nagging feeling that at any given moment, everything could fall apart. Throughout my healing journey, I don't think I really took the time to focus on how this grief was manifesting in my relationships and sabotaging everything for me. Sometimes I would get so sad thinking about my future as good things were happening that I held the happiness and the sorrow all at once and it just didn't work that well for me. Maybe it was a combination of the grief of things lost and traumatic experiences that I had coupled with the joy of overcoming and the fear of anything standing in my way or dragging me back was just overwhelming. I wanted to move forward, but in so many ways, I still feel trapped in this situation. I will say one thing, though. This life that I have has been a true exercise in mindfulness. <laughs> the adversity in my life has felt like 
turbulence bumping my ass back and forth you know so as soon as i get some peace i can't fall asleep i gotta stay awake and be mindful in the moment it's like god doesn't want me to get comfortable because i'm going to my next level all my life i really craved consistency and i finally felt like i got to a place like in my career and with my son and stuff where i was having that and it was like as soon as i started having a little bit of consistency things just really fell apart all over again and and taking the time for my mental health and to like really focus and quiet everything around me, I started to realize that in order for me to get the blessings that I deserve, I'm going to have to be okay with changes because I want more than I have in my life right now. And so in order for me to get more, there's going to be change. And in order for me to level up, it's going to be constant changes. And so in order for me to keep growing and to keep becoming, I need to make peace with the changes. Another thing I had to do was dive deep down into my childhood. And one thing that I then I don't think I really realized it with healing until this year is like you're hitting these mile markers and you're just going up, up, up. But you don't realize like healing is not like a vertical movement. It's more like riding a wave. And at any given moment, something can come back up again because it's triggered. And you could see it from a completely different perspective. But also the gift in it is that you get to heal yourself in a completely different way that you didn't realize wasn't healed. And so for me, it was realizing how much of this situation with JD was a mirror to my family. And I'm going to talk more about that in the next episode. I do want to wrap this up um, just for now, um, because that's a whole different beast that we will tackle. But with God beside me and this ass behind me, how can I feel? <laughs> now, before I head out, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast today. Remember, if you are in need of any kind of resources or anything like that, please feel free to check the show notes. I'm going to also drop a link to my art page so you guys can come there and see how I've been rebuilding my life. Some of the art pieces that I made and just seeing how I've used creativity to transform my life. And I will talk a little bit about my business so I am the CEO of Artistically Esoteric LLC, where I am giving my clients the creative push to get unstuck that they never knew they needed. And honestly, the secret sauce to my business is the fact that I live by that. <laughs> I have used art to literally rebuild my life, especially in this past five years. It's just been a great outlet for me, but then it's also been a way for me to be able to see the changes in my house before I could see them in my life. I was awarded a grant from Arts and Entertainment Atlanta. They are a wonderful team that are breathing life into so many creatives here in Atlanta. My project is a 12-week therapeutic arts initiative that I'll be hosting in downtown Atlanta. It's completely free. We'll be doing a lot of work with gratitude, identity, change management, self-awareness, and radical acceptance. We'll be doing some community art and everything will culminate in a huge community art show that I'm very, very excited about. 
So I'm going to put a link to register in my show notes. If you listen to this podcast and we haven't met before, I'd love for you to come so I can meet you. If you listen to the podcast, whether I know you or not, I would love for you to come out at least to one or two of the sessions so I can meet you and we can make something together. There's so much healing energy and art. There's no way to be wrong. And there's so much to discover. So come down to Art and Discovery (laughs) at Studio House ATL from 11 to 1 each Sunday starting March 10th. I'm going to look forward to seeing y'all. And if I don't see y'all, then I'm going to know something. (laughs) I'm also looking forward to having some merch ready for y'all in the next few weeks or so. And it's going to be hot. So, you know, just just keep an eye out for that. But thank you for allowing me this safe space to be able to decompress and to be able to share. And I pray that y'all don't need this. But I hope that in the event that you do, this could serve as a resource, at least to give you knowledge, to give you gratitude, to love your partner and appreciate them. So y'all never, ever have to come (laughs) and deal with any of these things. But just thank you. I'm so grateful to you, to God and to my motherfucking self. All right, because she is taking it. She's taking it. She's making it happen every single day. And I think that's one of the things that I was missing was the appreciation for myself. And moving forward, it's not something I'm taking light. But thank y'all for tuning in. This show is executive produced and written by me, Amber Inadehi. Music for this podcast is executive produced by Malcolm X. You can follow him on Instagram at I am Malcolm X underscore. You'll also be able to find his information inside my show notes. If you like the art and advertisements that you see, those are produced by Artistically Esoteric LLC. You can follow us on Instagram at Artistically ESO. This information will also be provided in the show notes. And remember, it's fine if you come for the mess, as long as you stay for the message. See you next time, shawty. I know it's it's slow, but it's slow for us too. It's a panoramic. My name is Judah. Yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs>